Welcome to Fanfare and Legal News here on Waterberg Stereo. First discussion today is uh, one with Alicia Kuzak talking about the next Netflix lawsuit against the Bridgerton musical um, group uh, related to uh, copyright, etc. Very interesting and very important. And uh, they're also going to touch on what uh, such uh, case would uh, be the outcome in South Africa if uh, similar facts were discussed or considered by a court over here. And uh, then uh, secondly, two labor law matters uh, that Johannes Mukutedi will be discussing. So please stay tuned for that as well. And uh, please send us your uh, comments and your uh, questions to info at vvd.co.za. Hi everyone, I'm Amri Rechter and with me I have Alicia Kizak. We are discussing a very hot topic today. The social media platforms and international news platforms are budding about Netflix who sued two very young, talented women. Um, Alicia, maybe you can tell us a bit more about it. Yes, so maybe just to create a timeline of what happened. Um, some people might be aware of who these people are. They are together, known as Barlow and Bear. Individually, it is Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear. So this story maybe starts back as far back as 2000, which is when Julia Quinn wrote a book and a series known as the Bridgerton series. Seven stories um, all surrounding one family and it is a historical romance of each member of the family and then, you know, finding their ways back in the 1800s. Mm. So in 2020, Netflix picked up the story and they released a TV series. December 2020 to be exact, the first season was released. And if I remember correctly, actually in the first 28 days or something of the series being streamed, it was like the most viewed series on TV, if not only on Netflix. It was a big storm. This series actually is very popular. Everyone loves it. Netflix, or actually I want to say printing money with this series. Absolutely. Um, I mean, everyone and their mother was watching the show. I think the figures that Netflix have released is about 84 million households was yeah. watching the show. Um, at that stage, it was their most watched series, as you said. I think now it might have been surpassed by mm. Stranger Things, but it was massive. Um, so obviously, the fanfare around the show was very big because, as I said, I mean, it's a historical romance, but it was modernized to mm. um, an effect, you know. So it was, they used modern pop songs, but they turned it into classical music. It was brilliant, you know. Um, so obviously fans started making videos about yeah. it and, you know, they were dressing up and it was a huge thing. And one of those fans was Abigail Ball. So in January of 2021, and I feel very honored because I feel like I've been part of this since the beginning. <laughs> Um, I, like many others, joined TikTok during the pandemic um, and I saw Abigail Barlow's, you know, video that she released and her whole thing was, but what if Bridgerton was a musical? Yeah. And she was inspired by the show and she released songs, you know, she released many, many songs inspired by the show and she turned it into what is now known as the unofficial Bridgerton musical. 
So back when she released this first TikTok, she wasn't very well known. I don't think she was known mm. at all. No, me neither. Yeah. And Netflix saw it because people started duetting it. So, you know, she yeah. would sing one part, someone would sing Simon's part, and, you know, it would be a whole thing. And, and it was paid on lots of different platforms, yes. if I'm correct. Not only on TikTok, it went to Instagram and even some Facebook videos. And people really loved the videos she made. Yeah, it was absolutely viral. It was so viral that Netflix became aware of it. They saw mm -hmm. it. And initially, I think their reaction was like, great. We yeah. have fans. It's in extra marketing. Yes, I think. free marketing. Millions of people have seen it. It's brilliant. And they actually shared one of Abigail Barlow's videos. And they yeah. went like, this is brilliant. We love it. Yeah, she's like a big fan of yes. the Bridgerton series. So this started picking up and she then her partner, her writing partner, Emily Bear, then joined her as this team and they started actively writing the unofficial Bridgerton musical. Um, they then contacted Netflix at one stage and they said to Netflix, you know, we would like to do a charity event where we perform our unofficial Bridgerton musical. And Netflix said to them, you know what, we're not going to authorize this very specifically. They said, we're not going to authorize it, but because it's a once off charity event, we're not going to stand in your way. Yeah, let the fans enjoy the show and, and the inspiration that the show gives. Exactly. Um, the charity event actually ended up never happening. But what okay. did happen in April of this year is Abigail Barlow and Emily Bear won a Grammy. They won a Grammy for this unofficial Bridgerton musical, and it was massive. People were, because think of it, they were competing with massive musicals, with well-known um, musicals. And it started off with a TikTok video. Exactly. As, as small and simple as that. Exactly. And this was kind of the world going, wow, you know, social media actually does have yes. this massive influence. And I can remember seeing the announcement on TikTok that they won. And even I thought, wow, that's massively yeah. impressive that they were able to do this. Um, and still Netflix said, you know, great, this is awesome. We're so happy for them. And that's nothing it. More. Nothing more than that. Nothing more. Netflix says nothing more. Then, um, Abigail or Barlow and Bear contact Netflix and again. they tell them again. Okay. They contact contact Netflix and they tell them we want to do a show at the Kennedy Center. And it's very clear, sorry to interrupt you, but it's it's quite clear that they are kind of asking for permission. Yes. And it's like acknowledging the fact that Netflix's series that's the inspiration. Exactly. Why else would they ask Netflix if they can have a show? Yeah, because yeah. if I didn't think someone's permission was necessary, I wouldn't ask them no, that. Most definitely. And that's exactly yeah. what Netflix says. Uh, when you read the papers um, that Netflix filed, it becomes clear that they are saying, you knew you needed our permission. Mm -hmm. And up until the Kennedy Center affair, Netflix hadn't really actively intervened in what Bono and Bear was doing. Mm -hmm. Kind of due to the fact, because a representative of Bono and Bear was telling Netflix, you know, this isn't Bono and Bear's main goal, this isn't their main project, and actually saying Bono and Bear don't want to be known as the Bridgerton books. Okay. So they're telling Netflix, no, Bono and Bear are pursuing other projects, you don't have to worry about mm -hmm. them. And then, as I said, they contact Netflix and they tell them, tell them essentially that we're going to do a show at the Kennedy Center. And Netflix says, okay, we're a bit concerned because 
what Netflix was doing is they were having Bridgerton balls. Um, so they had these Bridgerton balls in six different cities where the woman would get dressed up, the gentleman would get dressed up. It was like an old timey ball. There would be a diamond on the season. So it was very, you know, themed and a huge promotion for Bridgerton. And now actually clash with a Bridgerton show, the musical. Exactly. That, that Bola and Bear is going to host. Yes, because now it's in the same city and um netflix is now getting a bit concerned so they asked them you know one where is it going to be two is it a charity event because up until then um Bolin bear hadn't done anything or performed anywhere for money um mm. so these are the questions that netflix is asking and then Bolin and bear's representative just says to netflix you know what we're not going to waste time discussing this with you anymore we're announcing it and they do. Within two days of their last correspondence with Netflix, they announced that in July of 2022, um, they are going to have the unofficial Bridgerton musical performed on stage. They had Broadway actors oh, in the wow. play. They had an orchestra, massive. The price range for the tickets was, if I remember correctly, from £40 a ticket up into £150. Yeah, Finally, this is, they are going to make a profit now. They are going to make some money with an, a Netflix-inspired musical. Exactly. So um, Netflix then says to them, um, again, we're not authorizing this. Mm. And I think one of the starting points was, yes, that they were suddenly making money off of it. But what Barlow and Bear also did, which I think is a bit interesting, in their poster, so you can go look it up online. We might even add a link to it down in the description. It's Abigail Barlow and Emily Bay sitting. And then it says the unofficial Bridgerton registered trademark musical. And then oh in God. very fine script at the bottom, they say Bridgerton is a trademark of Netflix. The trademark is used with Netflix's permission. Yes. But then they also go and say that the show is not associated with Netflix at all. Okay. And I think Netflix then kind of put that because they yeah. go, listen, you're not actively competing with us. You're using our trademark. This has now become actually without their permission. Yes, because although they say it's with Netflix's permission, Netflix persists that it is mm -hmm. not. They at no point gave their permission for this. And this is when we get to the lawsuit. Netflix then says, we'll go to court about this. Oh, because actually what I forgot to mention, before they go to court, they contact Bolombe and they tell them, okay, buy a license off of us. We'll yes. give you a license to use the ideas and to use the name. And Bolombe say, no, we don't yeah. want to. And I think that's the crux of the issue here. Yes. Because they actually gave them an opportunity. They invited them to say, please continue with what you're doing. But this is our intellectual property. Yes. Just at least buy a license and continue with what you are doing exactly. and now they Bola and Bear said no we don't need a license yeah so Netflix then sues them and the lawsuit consists of two things one an infringement of the trademark Bridgerton and two a copyright infringement so both mm -hmm. grounds of an intellectual property infringement but they are separate and distinct yeah. from each other but maybe you can just give when we talk about a trademark what what exactly are we referring to here so a trademark is something that a trader uses to distinguish themselves and their products and services from other products and services. Mm -hmm. So 
it's not necessarily a trade name, which is also important okay. to remember. Because you could have, for example, Coca-Cola. Okay. Coca-Cola has a company name and a trade name. But under Coca-Cola, you have Coca-Cola, you have Coke Zero, you have Coke Light, you've got cream soda. And each yo. of those are different trademarks that Coca-Cola, the company, has. Um, you could even trademark certain logos. So for example, if you look at Nike, Nike, the name, yes, mm. that's a trademark. But so is their check. Yeah, and when you see the check, you immediately associate it with nike yes. so is that what you say when we look at a trademark let's say for example bridgerton if we look at the way the words were were um you know blocked out or the font that was used is that like does that form part of their trademark yeah so you can get quite specific in a trademark to say you know what it should look like it can be words it can be numbers it can be as i said a logo mm. name or whatever you can be, be very specific with the trademark the essential element of the trademark is as i said that it should be distinguishable from other things yeah um so it should be something where you look at this and you go oh i know where this is from i know who makes mm. it i know the quality of this okay. thing because i know who makes it um it's like standing in a store and if we get back to say nike versus adidas or nike versus a mr price tacky when i see the check mark on a pair of shoes i immediately think that's a nike pair of shoes yeah. nike has made that shoe yeah i then think to myself that must be of a superior quality mm. or a nike quality compared to maybe you're buying a brand basically yes that that's what you do so with a trademark it must be immediately recognizable as well yes am i correct in saying that you should immediately link what you are seeing with a with a regional company or what yeah that's generally the idea of a mm. trademark so now what netflix is saying and this is where the trademark dispute comes in one of the functions of a trademark is as i said um it has the origin function they call it so that means when i see the trademark i immediately associate it with a certain mm. origin and netflix is saying the bridgerton trademark is very strongly associated with netflix yeah so these um two ladies Bolo and bear by using the bridgerton name they are causing consumer confusion yeah because everyone actually now thinks they are maybe working for netflix or what they are doing is from netflix it, it yes. originates from netflix that there's some association mm -hmm. between what they are doing and what they okay. yes so that's the one element of netflix's claim then the second is the copyright claim. Okay, and the copyright refers to? So copyright is different from a trademark because as I said, a trademark refers to almost a distinguishable identity. Mm. Copyright refers to the material expression of an idea um, or the manifestation of an idea. So it's not just an idea. Mm. If you want to protect your idea, you get a pattern. Yes, but if okay. you want to protect the thing that was born from an idea, for example, a story, lyrics, a song, mm. a movie, that's when you get copyright. Okay. So in this case, the original copyright would have obviously filed with Julia Quinn, yes. who was the original author. The, yeah. 
So um, it's not very clear here whether um, Netflix bought it, perhaps, yes. or because you can buy copyright. You can buy it. It is property at the mm. end of the day. So it's in all likelihood Netflix in some way obtained copyrights from Julia by but, compensating her for yes, the work that she wrote. Which is often the case. Yeah. I mean, authors do it all mm. the time. There is generally two routes you can go about. The one is to sell your copyright in the story to another person. The other is, as we said, licensing. Mm. So in this case, and this is where America differs slightly from us. In South Africa, copyright is a thing that you just automatically yes you have it if i write lyrics tonight my bed whether it's good or bad i'm the author i have copyright yes. so the requirements are originality mm -hmm. and then that it must be a material expression okay. as i said it must be it cannot you cannot copyright something that just sits no. up here. it no. must be yeah. created into yeah. something yes um so she could have sold that completely to them the other way that sometimes especially movie makers go about getting copyright is you get a license yeah. So a license allows you to do some of the things that someone with the copyright over the product could do um, with their permission. And then this new thing that you create becomes yours. Yeah. Okay. So that's where it gets a bit convoluted. But in this case, we're accepting Netflix had copyright. You, you previously now mentioned, sorry to interrupt you, you said that in South Africa, we automatically have copyright. Mm. In America, um, which is the law that will now apply in mm. this lawsuit, um, is it different? Do they not automatically get it? So they do automatically get it to that extent we're the same. Um, copyright and a lot of intellectual property is one of those things. It's based on international treaties and conventions mm. and things. So. All the parties that are part of these international agreements, you'll see our intellectual property laws very much are similar. You know, yes, that yeah, yeah, the only difference in America is that in order for you to sue someone on the basis of copyright, you have to go and register. Okay. So this is again um, from Netflix's pleadings. It wasn't very clear whether they register it, registered it merely for the purpose of suing oh, okay. or whether they had it. But the point remains, they have it. They have the intellectual property. Yeah, and Julia Quinn, the author, she's not disputing it. She's actually mm. come out and supported Netflix and said, okay. you know, she stands with them and what's happening. So they've said that they have the rights, the copyright and respect of Bridgerton, to make any songs, music, mm. um, and any derivative work from Bridgerton. So a derivative work is anything that you create that is inspired by this original thing. Yeah. And I think it was Bono who actually admitted that this is a uh, Bridgerton inspired musical. Exactly. I mean, from her TikToks and what she subsequently said, they constantly reference the mm. fact that this musical is inspired by the Netflix show. I, I also want to mention, I even um, read one of the articles about this and specific like um, dialogue that actually occurred in the series was also used in some of the songs, which I can also assume is a copyright issue. So this is what Netflix is saying, is they're saying, one, your storyline is exactly the same. Mm -hmm. They say you haven't, you know, substantially changed the storyline. Mm -hmm. It's still, you know, the Duchess and the Duke getting together and their difficulty. It's the same story. And you can recognize some of the characters. 
if I'm not mistaken. Exactly. Yeah. Character names are the same. Character mannerisms yeah. are the same. Um, and then, as she said, dialogue. So Netflix in their action refers to the fact that in the show they would use certain dialogue and they would say, you know, I think the one that sticks with me is something along the lines of, we're in the same room, but yet we feel oceans of mind. And Bala and Bear very much took that and tweaked it a little into a lyric, but it remained the same thing, you know, we're together, but we feel oceans apart. Mm -hmm. And Netflix is saying, you know, you haven't even gone so far as to write your own original lyrics. Yeah. You took dialogue, you took inspiration from our dialogue um, to create this mm -hmm. musical. Um, so Netflix then said, you know, they've suffered damages because you yeah. were competing in the same city of us directly you caused confusion as to where your musical comes from and we offered you a license and you denied yeah. it um it seems from netflix's pleadings that bala and bear are saying they they are of the opinion they didn't require netflix's authorization but they kept on asking for it if, if you think of the history of the matter where they constantly asked netflix Exactly. So it's funny that they're now saying that they do not need their authorization when they explicitly asked for it. They well informed them. Yes. Creating the idea that they know that they need to inform and ask for yes. permission. And I think what was also important to me here at least is that Netflix wasn't just a passive bystander to what was happening. They didn't watch what Bala and Bear were doing and thought, you know what, good for them and just kept silent. No, they, they were actually engaged. They were engaging with them. They yeah. were funded. We will not authorize this. We yeah. are not giving Buy them a license. Yeah, they yeah. gave them the opportunity. But you know, Alicia, I'm actually forming my own opinion here and um to my mind i think bala and bear might be in trouble um that, that's my opinion obviously i haven't we haven't received or, or read their arguments but what do you think what what can their defense actually be if you think of now they are being sued what will their reaction be why do they think what they are doing is actually legally fine and in you know so obviously my opinion about it is very much informed by south african you know um case law and how mm -hmm. we approach um intellectual property i do think there is an overlap as i said between how we do it and they do it um in south africa it is actually possible to use someone else's copyrighted work create something and then get your own copyright over this other thing even though it infringes on the first copyright okay okay so even if i were to wrongfully infringe on your copyright i could still get copyright over my thing maybe but, this is what they can but the question is um the word that the south african courts use is that it must not be a slavish copy of the first thing okay um there must be an almost substantial transformation that you make um sometimes what we see we see this a lot in music we see uh, modern songwriters who use um a little snippet of a song like a in the 80s or hmm. yeah a beat a guitar or something and they transform it into a completely new thing okay so that transformation is quite important yes that it actually transformed to something different yes and something new but um, do you think that actually happened in the, in this Bridgerton musical? Is it actually 
transformed that we can say it's something new and, and different? I think they're going to struggle to get over that hurdle because the two things, or actually the three things that we would have looked at, is one, whether the two things are objectively similar. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I would say they are. Yes, um, we've got the same themes, we've got the same characters, we've got the same dialogue. 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 Yeah. It's very much the same thing. And I think in this regard, it's important to note that Netflix's adaptation of Julia Quinn's original story is quite unique. They went and modernized it in that they changed racial profiles of certain mm-hmm. characters in order to fit within our modern modern world yes world perspective so yeah. it's not like a jane austen historical romance it's mm. got a very distinctive um swing to it where you look and you know that is netflix's bridgerton and that theme has very much translated into this musical mm. thing um and that's where we get to the second thing that the court looks at is they look at whether there is an a substantial portion of the two things that are the same. And what's mm. important here, and the courts in our country emphasize that over and over again, it's not quantity that they look at. Okay. They don't care how many things are the same. It's yeah. quality. Yes. It's whether what you copy really goes to the heart and the character of what the original mm. thing was. And okay. again, I think they, Bala and Bear are going to struggle because Netflix have created a very unique profile yeah. when it comes to Bridget. And they used it to create a very nice and very likable musical, but it still flows from the Bridgerton yes. series. So the crux of their musical is actually the Bridgerton series. Yeah. And then the last thing that the courts would have looked at is causality. Mm. Um, And that's very simple. Is there a link? Can you Mm. show that this person even knew of the original thing when they created it? There is no question. No, definitely not. Um, Irrespective of the fact that 84 million households watch the show, Barlow and Bear themselves repeatedly say Netflix's show was a massive inspiration. And once again, then contacting Netflix acknowledges the fact that there's a link yes. between the series and their musical. Yes. So, um, yeah, I think I, I'm, I'm very um, curious to see what's going to happen, but I have my opinion. Yeah. We'll have to wait and see, I assume. Um, the, the matter's not before court yet, is it? No. So um, Netflix have, as I said, instituted action, and that's what's in the headlines at the moment. We couldn't find any reply by Bola and Bear as of yet. Um, in my opinion, it's likely that they won't let it get all the way to court. Oh, okay. Um, so you think they are going to settle outside of court? Yes. Um, I think so. I think it's unless they pull something out of the bag, which I can't see them doing. I think that would be the smartest move for them to yeah to actually go and settle and maybe pay a portion of the damages that Netflix incurred, and then. And then hopefully Will that move then on be and the end of the musical? Yeah. Then they can create something. Yeah. yeah. They might even negotiate with Netflix to get that license that Netflix was putting on the table. But I mean, we'll have to see whether Netflix is inclined to give that to them after the struggle they've gone through. Um, but yeah, I think intellectual property is a very 
it's a very niche-ish topic. It is, yes, and definitely. it has a lot of, you know, finer details that you need to look at. It's not always as clear-cut because I think that's another thing that people mm. here need to take into consideration. If we refer again to the musical thing, um, some of the listeners might remember, you might know, Olivia Rodrigo. She is a big up and coming um, artist. She had massive hits. She had driver's license. And, 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 and. and what TikTok did there is they listened to one of her songs and they went, Yeah, this sounds like, like, like an Avril Lavigne song. Oh no, it was Paramore. Yeah. It was Paramore, Misery Business of Paramore. Um, and they would actually overlay them. And it went on so long that Paramore said to Olivia Rodrigo, like, this sounds it's, quite familiar. Yeah. And she ended up giving them recognition. Um, Paramore, and I think Hayley Williams specifically, has writing acknowledgments mm. on Olivia Rodrigo's song now. I mean, it's happened before to Taylor Swift. Yeah. It's not in every case where you can get away with using yeah. someone else's material. And this is something that I think we are going to see more often, you know, especially on platforms like TikTok, where everyone's being very creative, but some people are using intellectual property that belongs to someone else. So um, I think this is something that we will see more of, and maybe the listeners and viewers should be wary when making videos, make sure where your inspiration come from and make sure that you um, transfer it into something a bit different and new and add your own creativity to it. Yeah. I think that's very important. Um, but we will obviously um, keep our eyes on the social media platforms and on TikTok to see what's happening. We will um, let you guys know if there's some new developments in this matter and if we think it's worthwhile discussing. Um, I think we've, we've touched on the base of all the intellectual property things that will now actually come to play. And I think it was very interesting. Yeah. Thank you, Alicia. Catherine, we're recording. Privilege to have our labor law expert with us today again, Johannes Mokotedi, to discuss two interesting cases. The first one deals with an employee of the mine that wore high heels to work and that sort of led to him being fired, if I understand it correctly. And then the second one is uh, an SABC employee who was also dismissed and there was a dispute about that dismissal. But let's get to that one later. Let's first start with the high heel case. Uh, what what happened there, uh, Johannes? Okay. Uh, interesting set of facts, you know. Uh, basically, it's um, the sartorial elegance look versus uh, health and safety in a workplace. Yes. Uh, in this instance, uh, the mine employee who was the human resource coordinator was dismissed because of he was she was wearing heels at the employer at, at the at, at his at her workplace. Now, uh, to sum it up briefly, is that uh, uh, Teresa Mine, who is the respondent in this matter, uh, introduced a policy in 2015 that uh, the employees are not allowed to wear their heels and their slippers or sleepwears as they, they as they identified it. For security reasons, because you could obviously slip more easily with high heels, etc., and slippers. Yes, yes, yeah. And um, uh, that was in 2015, the first of June. And um, uh, they find this policy to be ambiguous. And uh, in 2017, they changed this policy to read more or less the same, but indicating that uh, heels are not allowed within the Teresa uh, premises and even sleepwear, which I still found also to be 
very ambiguous. Mm. Then uh, uh, the same year in September, one of their directors noted uh, Miss Fuken uh, uh, wearing high heels. He indicated this to one of the managers that uh, it is contrary to the policy of the company. And ultimately, one of the managers confronted Ms. Mufuking. Uh, Ms. Mufuking um, uh, complied, but uh, she complied that this was in any way hindering her to, to display or to show her feminine side, yes. which to a large extent I agree with her. Mm. Now, uh, Ms. Mufuking complied, now, but Ms. Mufuking lobbied for support amongst the female employees. She approached number of them that the policy was not uh, in line with the trends and with the constitution and 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 and, yes. and uh, ultimately uh, the, the director who firstly noted her heard about Ms. Mufugeng not being happy and ultimately Ms. Mufugeng was charged but you see you know interestingly she was charged for insubordination and insolence which meant that number one insolence you know it's inciting others to do a crime or an unlawful action yes. and insubordination because of she failed to comply with the with the unlawful instructions from the superior so she carried on wearing the high heels no not really it's not it's not clear but uh, but that's what she was charged with yes. and um, in uh, october 2017 she was dismissed she referred the matter to the ccma rustenberg and the, the ccma rustenberg the matter was said by one commissioner dala and Matala found uh, that uh, Miss the uh, found that the dismissal was fair, and uh, Miss Mufugin not being happy, referred the matter to the Labour Court. Now the question in the Labour Court, which the court had to answer, was specifically this uh, insubordination or insolence. Now, but the court also had to look at the at these uh, policies of the mind. And interestingly, the court made some remarks, amongst others, that uh, the court indicated that they didn't find nothing untoward or nothing unsecure or unhealthy about wearing a high heel suit in their employees in their, in their employers' premises. But maybe to give you a, a brief background is that it appears from the facts that the employer, after introducing this policy in 2015, conducted a research. Mm. Uh, to back up the policy. Mm. Now, after introducing, after doing this research, that the employer unilaterally decided to implement this policy, mm. which makes the conduct to be unlawful without consulting without the employees first. the employees first. Now, the the judge made a remark that it was uh, 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 unlawful for the employee for the employer to expect the employee to be to have acted not according to instructions or insubordinately against a policy which was unlawful. I see. Yeah. But you know... Where, where was she working? Is that clear? Was she working in an office or was she working at the mine where, where, where it might be dangerous to wear high heels? Or is that not clear from the fact? No, it's not clear from the fact. That is one of the reasons for criticism, that the policy was very vague and ambiguous. It was not indicated where, okay. how... It, it sounded like it applied to everywhere. To everywhere, yes. Which is maybe ridiculous to apply that to an office as well. Someone who just goes to the office never the, the mind as such. Yeah, and, and no, bear in mind that she's a human resource coordinator. Yes. And from that, you know, you can assume that she was office bound. Yes. And yes. I think in, in such instance, it was extreme for mm -hmm. the mind to have introduced such a policy. Mm -hmm. But uh, she was dismissed in 2017. And only in 2022, June, 
the matter was said in the Labour Court because of she was but not there. She won the case. No? Yeah, she won the case at the Labour Court. She was uh, 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 reinstated mm. with um, uh, with pay and um, uh, for the full period for the full period from twenty seventeen. Mm. And uh, the, the decision by the commissioner in the CCMA was subdued and set aside. The wheels of justice turn slowly, no? but yeah. they do turn. So, so what do we learn? Because surely an employer can make a policy to cover any safety aspects and enforce that policy. An employee who doesn't keep to that policy, obviously, uh, is then guilty of insubordination. Um, however, what you're saying is that you must consult with your employees. You can't just unilaterally change your policy and that's it? Yes, that's correct. Therefore, uh, what we learn from this is that as an employer, when you want to introduce a policy, your policy must not be ambiguous and not be clear. Therefore, it's very important that it must be clear, reasonable in circumstance. And uh, before introducing this policy, you must have uh, the, you must consult with your employers, otherwise it will be tempted to be unilateral and it will be an unfair labor practice. Now, in this regard, the judge tagged this to be an unfair labor practice and regarded the action of Ms. Mufukeng in lobbying support from the others to be reasonable and to be fair mm. in situations such as maybe, load, maybe going for a strike or something of that sort. Mm. And uh, the commissioner went on further to tell that... Um, That's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Okay. Thanks for uh, right, listening. The and make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock. And I think it deals with the difference between an employee being absent yes. and an employing employee deserting his work now repudiating basically his contract of service and 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 the question is when can you as an employer dismiss someone um, in circumstances like that so yeah please explain okay uh, it's very important that when you are faced with circumstance or situation where the the employee is not reporting for work for a long period of time for you to conduct investigations remember there's a distinction between an extended absence and desertion. Now, the, the difference between the two is that in respect of desertion, it is when the employee does not have the intention to come back. And in respect of a long period of absence is the opposite. Now, in this instance is that uh, in the SABC case, the employee was absent for a long period of time. After being period for a long period of time, uh, the SABC did any disciplinary inquiry and they dismissed the employee. Now the employee reported for duty and um, when he reported for duty, uh, the dismissal was withdrawn. Then for whatever reason, the employee was also told orally at that inquiry that please come back to work. And the employee amongst others alleged that no, he waited for a letter mm. for her to be reinstated to work, which didn't happen and he was absent for a long period of time. SABC did send various letters to, to, to the employee and there was no response. And ultimately, the employee was dismissed and the employee was not happy. He took the matter to the CCMA. And at the CCMA, the SABC argued that uh, they did not dismiss her. They simply deemed her conduct to be desertion and amounting to a repudiation of the contract. Mm. Therefore, they simply accepted the repudiation and that amount to do a dismissal. Now, the lesson to be learned in this instance is that 
when an employee is absent from work, investigate why. Then if you come, if maybe you realize that it's either desertion or maybe uh, long absenteeism, uh, advise the employee, employer to write letters on the employee, issue out the ultimatum, make sure that he receives the ultimatum. If she's not available, maybe on the address, try to use WhatsApp or any form of communication. Just prove that ultimately he was notified about the situation. And, uh, in that situation, such as the SABC, you can win where he, he has deserted and you simply accept the repudiation. So in this case, who won, won the matter? The SABC. SABC won yeah. that matter. Okay. But yeah, as you often say, even if you might have a very strong case from a labor law point of view, you've got to always follow a certain process to make sure that it's fair, etc. No? Yeah. So, so if there's any doubt that an employer has, rather make rather be safe than sorry. Yeah. <laughs> follow that process and obviously get legal advice if you're unsure about the process to be followed. So do you don't regret your steps later. Yeah, it's very very important that uh, the CCMA can found you to be procedurally unfair and award a compensation order against you as the employer. Now, in a case of this instance, it's also important to bear in mind that um, a long period of absence differ from one fax to another. Yes. You know, uh, but, but in our setup or in our in our law, there's no clear rule which indicates how long is it. Depends on the circumstances. Yeah, depends on the circumstances. I see that in most cases of the CCMA, they would say five days. Therefore, if it's five days, I see also in many instances, in the mines, they would say that it's three days. Therefore, it depends on circumstances, but it's very important that you follow the correct process. All right. Thank you. Well, that's, I think that's all we have uh, time for today. Remember, our email address is info at vvd.co.za. Thanks for uh, listening. Uh, make sure that you tune in again next week, Wednesday, between 3 o'clock and 4 o'clock, and then also on Friday evenings.